Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the microphone with thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. Good day, Cornet. I'm thrilled to be here today. My name is Sheila Botting. I'm president of the Americas for Avis and Young's Professional Services, and I'm with my great colleague, Craig Leibowitz, who's director of our Innovation and Insights practice. We've done some amazing work tracking data across North America and certainly the world. Craig leads that whole initiative to, to really identify the return to office and what it looks like. So, Craig, what are you seeing? What does it look like when people return to office or not, as we might be seeing as well? So I must have gotten the same question post-COVID at least 300 different times, and I've heard every answer under the sun from everybody returned to the office five plus days per week to we're going to go fully remote. And before we had data at our fingertips, we were just using conjecture or one-off examples based on what our clients were doing to inform the strategies of entirely different clients. So the beauty about what we've done here at Evis & Young with the Vitality Index powered by cell phone mobility data is we've not just geofenced and isolated offices so we could track return to office efforts as they evolve on a weekly basis. It gets refreshed each and every week so it's a real-time barometer of what's happening. But we also track other areas of interest which uh, has more deeper psychological meaning behind like the why. So why are people returning to the office? Why um, are people returning to cities? Are they migrating to suburbs? And how has that evolved over time? So hang on, just to get the methodology straight. So you've got my cell phone data and everybody else in the world, and you're monitoring the cell phones and where people are and how they're traveling and what patterns are in different locations. So what are you seeing through that? Yeah, we, uh, we have a great data partner in Orbital Insight, and we have different dwell times for different areas of interest. So it's immediate for transit hubs and much longer for offices. And what we noticed uh, starting macro to micro is that suburbanization definitely occurred in the immediate aftermath of the pandemic. This is all property types throughout North America. We're tracking 52 markets and 4,000 areas of interest or data points. And what's evolved ever since then, really beginning in the, in the start of 2021, is that people started to return to cities. And that has categorically occurred much more substantially since the beginning of 2022. So as cons health-related concerns relating to the virus have subsided, people have increasingly returned to cities. Uh, and most broadly, they've returned to education areas of interest. These are colleges, universities, recreational tourist destinations, so museums, hotels, sports arenas, concert venues, and so forth. And they've also used mass transit. Uh, much more so than they had, as one would imagine, in 2020 and 2021. But the forms of mass transit are pretty unique. So we have airports, which have been at the top of the heap in terms of visitor volumes most recently. But subway stations haven't yet returned to pre-COVID normalcy just yet. 
So I keep wondering about that. I've been on public transit for years, going back and forth to work, and now I don't want to go near it. You know, you're nervous about being jammed with other people in transit. And in fact, we're seeing a lot of our public transit infrastructure at low utilization. Do, do, tell us what the stats show us from Avis and Young's you know, Vitality Index. So uh, the transit stations are down easily 25 plus percent in aggregate relative to the same period in 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll tell you, the airports are actually back to normal. Um, we've actually mapped out uh, in our upcoming release on the 9th, we're looking at each individual day of the week across all those different property types. And when we looked at airports, what we found specifically is that in specific days of the week, like Mondays and Tuesdays in particular, they're actually beyond back to pre-COVID normalcy. Uh, So the best days of the week, if you're wondering, to travel is actually Thursdays and Fridays, or actually really Fridays and Saturdays, I should say. Um, Those are the days that have not yet returned to normalcy, and that's really emblematic of tourism. And placemaking at the end of the day, um, and we've noticed too when we looked at retail, more specifically, that in most cities, specifically those with more temperate climates, retail corridors have performed pretty well post-COVID um, relative to other areas of interest. Okay, so the million-dollar question is workplace. You know, we're here at Coronet. The whole buzz around the conference is all around return to office. Well, you know, what's your program? What does it look like? What are you seeing? What does the data show us? The data at face value is a little bit discouraging. Uh, just out of 30,000 foot view, what it's going to say is we're down about 55% relative to the same period in 2019 when we look at the U.S. data in terms of return to office. And it's basically stabilized since the summer months of 2022. If you would ask me three months ago, I would have said mm, it's probably going to increase like 15 to 20% after Labor Day. That's what everyone was anticipating or many people were anticipating, myself included and it didn't happen. So what's influencing it in, in a variety of respects is the current labor market we're situated in. Um, so a, a quote I referenced yesterday when I presented the Vitality Index at Cornet is that the unemployment rate for individuals with a bachelor's degree or higher in the United States is 1.8%. And it's about as low as it could possibly go, and it's really low by historical standards. But the tides are starting to turn in that leverage is starting to swing back towards employers. And when employers uh, have a perception that employees are more productive than the construct of the office, when they do actually enforce those return to office mandates, employees are incentivized to listen. This becomes a more psychological phenomenon when you start to disrupt the way people work. So people who were fully remote have maintained fully remote work habits in the immediate aftermath of the pandemic to present, there's a little bit of a you know change that has to occur psychologically, which serves as probably a bigger barrier or as big a barrier as exists. Uh, are, are you seeing that uh, with some of your clients, Sheila? Yeah, totally. So if you think about it, all the surveys we've done say that when people return to office, 85% want hybrid. Well, what does hybrid mean? Hybrid for some companies could be one day a week. For other companies, it could be three days a week. I've even heard of one client who said it was one day a month. Hmm. Okay, so now you've got a hybrid workforce. And so what does that mean for your 
real estate, for your office, for your workplace design. And so what we're seeing is the complete redefinition of what your workplace is or should be. And so workplace is no longer a traditional cube farm where you're processing paper from the left to the right of your desk. You have to get rid of that mindset and move to a campus environment that I have innovation, people like you there. Mm -hmm. Um, Education, where we're constantly engaging uh, with other colleagues, where we have guest speakers come in, pizza days, you know, whatever, and events. So it becomes more like a campus where we think about activation, we think about hospitality. But the heads-down work that used to be done at the office, people are actually quite comfortable doing that at home. So how you calibrate that, how you redesign, reimagine the workplace, that's really our opportunity. Um, and I personally think that you know different companies are at different ends of that continuum. And some will say, I want everybody in the office. Well, good luck with that, because the world has changed forever. Mm-hmm. Right through to, um, we'll move to a hot desking model. And so that plays out very differently. And certainly with your data, you can see that. So here's a question for you. Are you seeing people, um, your foot traffic, higher in the suburbs than downtown, or is it higher downtown? It's now higher downtown, actually. Cool. Especially from the beginning of 2022 to present. Um, Some of that's anchored in colleges and universities getting back Mm -hmm. to class effectually because they're back, they're on break at that point in time. But really fascinatingly, the number two industry in terms of mobility is actually office, just looking at urban locations specifically uh, by property type from 2022 to present, which means... People are starting to return by and large, but again, we're not back to where we were by any means pre-COVID. And that suburbanization theme that was so prevalent in the immediate aftermath of the pandemic has started to wane and start, really started to wane in a more appreciable way during the summer months. Mm-hmm. People started to migrate back to the cities with a greater expectation that they were going to have to return to the office. So we saw really strong visitor volumes across the spectrum, whether it was at um, transit stations, airports, subway stations, etc. in a more appreciable way. It's all relative. It's not back to normal by any means in most respects, but certainly stronger than the, what they had been, but also in recreational uh, areas of interest. And like, as we could appreciate, and I'm sure you've heard this too, when CEOs release a memo to their workforce saying, hey, got to return to the office, a lot of times they quote those two data points will say, as soon as we're back in class, it's true, the data substantiates it, and you're comfortable going everywhere else. You're comfortable going to a Yankees game. You're comfortable going to a concert. You're comfortable going to restaurants. You should be back in the office. Are you kind of seeing the same thing? Totally. So I'm going to go down one more path for you, and that's how different cities behave differently. So a couple weeks ago, I was in L.A., and we drove downtown, and there was nobody downtown L.A. It was, like, almost vacant. Um, Here in Chicago, it's a little bit more robust, and I have to think that New York is more robust. What are you seeing, you know, in in the gateway cities? The cities that experience the greatest inward migration and those that are perceived to offer some of the highest quality of life are those that are really outperforming their peer cities across all property types. So when I looked to the week preceding the lockdown to present, the top markets in no particular order were Edmonton, Calgary, interestingly, San Diego, Nashville, and Austin. 
And is that because there's not big public transit in those markets? And we don't have a big commute. I'm from Toronto. I commute an hour every day. So the notion of giving up the commute, yay, of course. You'd Mm -hmm. like to do that a couple of days a week or whatever that is. So if you're in a a big market and you've Mm -hmm. got to sit on public transit, that's going to, or or you have a long commute, that's going to influence your return to office. Yeah, Toronto. Sounds like you've just played it. You just said that. Toronto's basically at the bottom of the list. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And New York is kind of right in the middle of the pack, despite Mm. like what I see and hear every day. Very few people are back in the office are exactly right. Yeah. Crazy. So um, the other point that I make is that before the pandemic, as we were working um, with our clients on Workplace, we did a technical term called bums and seats analysis. We'd have Mm. people walk around floors and see who's sitting in in what office or what seat. It was empty 50% of the time before the pandemic. So now you're telling us it's empty even more. So the biggest question, therefore, to me is footprint. Do you need all this real estate? Do you need all this space? And so we're finding many of our clients are saying, well, if if we have a hybrid model and our folks like being at home a couple of days a week or wherever, and we can move to some of them to an unassigned hot desking kind of environment, that's a a big change management activity. We can reduce our footprint. So literally, I just met a fellow earlier this morning at breakfast, and he said he's reducing his footprint by 50%. Other clients say the same thing, and those would be more traditional industries than, say, some of the tech companies who are still gobbling up space. Mm -hmm. Have you seen any of that play out in the industry sectors in what you're doing? Yeah, uh, it's you hit on a really interesting point that a lot of people kind of brush across when they think about what's evolved in terms of workplace strategies post-COVID is in that this is also a pre-COVID trend. Space utilization was evolving before the pandemic. And like so many other phenomena, the pandemic served as an accelerator for what was happening pre-COVID as well. So, you know, based on my own personal experiences working at real estate services firms, Fridays in the summer were very quiet because a lot of people were out with doing client engagements or just didn't feel like going into the office because it was nice outside and they had better things to do and they didn't want to work a full eight hour day in an office environment. And that was a trend that was already occurring, thinking about the advancements in terms of remote work technologies that are you know, kind of out there in the ether and are kind of now a day-to-day part of our lives in ways that have no precedent. Um, in terms of the office expansions and contractions data, we've analyzed this in New York City specifically. And when you remove net new requirements from the, equa- from the equation, like uh, pretty progressive expansions by tech, which occurred post-COVID as well. Um, what we've seen net net is that most occupiers are solving to minus 28 to 25%. Um, we've seen pretty- That's subs- massive. Oh, 20, yeah. 25%. If you think that on average, that's a big number. Yeah, and honestly, um, one point I've been making is that one way to interpret the mobility data we're tracking is that we're going to get to some form of equilibrium, uh, meaning a next normal in terms of return to office. Um, we're probably, you know, I was saying six months uh, during my presentation yesterday. Someone else I spoke to said we're probably two years away from that, um, maybe somewhere in between, who knows. Uh, but we'll get to that next normal as some state of affairs. But whether it's down 30% or down 
percent relative to pre-COVID kind of remains to be seen. That's going to serve as a really strong proxy for space utilization. And if most office occupiers only need 40 percent less than what they needed pre-COVID, all of a sudden this becomes a much broader circumstance where all of a sudden highest and best use becomes part of the equation. So, like an amazing conversation. So when you think about downtowns, I'm actively involved in downtowns and the revitalization of downtowns. And you Mm -hmm. say suddenly you've now lost, pick a number, 20% of your population that's coming in every day. Mm -hmm. Now the retailers at ground level, now the restaurants and all those areas will be affected. In some situations, maybe your tourism traffic picks up other parts of it, but it's completely going to reshuffle our downtowns. So one of the questions that people often ask me is, can you convert these office buildings to residential? Should we maybe reimagine our downtowns? Should we have more mix of uses? What do you think about all that? When you're seeing the data and you're thinking about what the future might look like, I'm, and it's probably 10 years out where we're actually you know, managing that process. What do you see? It's a great question. So we also track visitor volumes for offices by quality or office classifications. And when I looked at the data at first, I did a double take. I said, this has to be wrong. And then I looked at it again, looked at it again, thought about it, and then I recognized there's a real interesting theme occurring across North America here where the number one office classification in terms of return to office visitor volumes is not trophy buildings or the highest quality assets and markets. They're actually in second place. In first place are actually class C buildings. The question becomes, why is that? And after mulling it over, looking at the data, interpreting it, doing what I could to rationalize that, I realized that it's about how and why, like how people work? What are their functions on a day-to-day basis? And thinking about the maker economy that largely exists in Class C buildings, um, in New York City, a great example of that would be in like some of the flex creative office properties on the waterfronts, uh, both on the west side and the north sides of Brooklyn, where there's a whole interesting maker ecosystem of people who have to be in the office or office equivalents to be productive. And then you also have really price-sensitive industries like nonprofits and associations. Based on the functions of how they work, they need to be in the office. And then... Yes, you just said it. You just said the the key kicker in the observation is that the type of work you do drives whether or not you need to be in the office. Mm -hmm. And so say you're in the graphic design business or creative business, being around other people is so important to that business. And you're saying that if... making this up, but say there's boutique firms that are in the C buildings, Mm -hmm. the people like to be in the offices. Have you seen anything from your clients in particular, or certain function groups expected to go back more frequently, or different industries expected to return more frequently, or some combination thereof? So it goes back to the kind of work you do, right? So if you're the creatives, and so we work with a lot of advertising companies, and people can be creative on their desktops at home. They can take their, you know, their, their big screens, you know, get desks and whatever at home. But then when they want the creative connection with other people, just like you and I get to connect all the time, mm-hmm. um, you have to actually be there in person. So how you balance your in-person to virtual becomes everything. Mm-hmm. Traditional law firms, um, it's they're, they're a fascinating group because if you think about it, lawyers have tons of paper. 
and they've not fully modernized or digitized their document and their processing systems through the courts and other things. So they're heavily paper dependent. So therefore, you see more in the office and law firms in a more traditional world versus, say, the accounting and consultancy firms that are digital nomads. You know, people put a backpack on and off they go somewhere around the world just to do their work. So two very, you know, professional services, two very different ways of working. Mm-hmm. And so what does that mean for footprint? Um, I'll actually rhyme off some stats yeah. because uh, I think that a lot of folks would be interested in this. And, and what I've seen, you know, as I've traveled around the world, originally Australia, the banks in Australia were under financial constraints. And so they reduced their footprint and went to the whole hot desking model. And so hot desking and assigned seating really grabbed hold in Australia and then in Europe. We in North America have been way far behind that. In in Canada, we started moving to the hot desking model, I'll say about 10 years ago. And as it's accelerating, people have really adopted it. So before the pandemic, the average space per employee, I'll say is 200, 250 square feet. Law firms are three to 400 square feet. With a hot desking environment, you could achieve conservatively 130 to 140 square feet per employee. Mm. And now as I'm looking, even some of our own metrics for our own portfolio, we're getting anywhere between 50 to 75 square feet. Mm. That would be in the European market. So when Mm. you think if Europe is 50 to 75 square feet, and we in North America are 200 to 300, there's some settling in the middle that I think really represents tremendous change here in the North American market. Back to your comment earlier about footprint reduction by 20 25% on average. I think it's even going to accelerate personally. Mm. It also has ESG implications, right? If the average buildings, you know, uh, produce 40% of the global CO2 emissions, then you say, well, we can be much more uh, uh, purposeful in how we use our buildings. And then I I was actually really curious about your Class C, because Class C buildings are those that could be converted to residential, if you think about it. Yeah. And so, you know, because they have small footprints, they tend to be historic buildings that are really cool and the architectural design would be amazing. So that'll be interesting to see how many of those convert and what that looks like. Being one of the many solutions for affordable housing. Yeah. Very cool. Are you seeing different uh, workplace utilization metrics get introduced now? Uh, you reference square feet per employee. Are there like now like days of the week or different metrics being utilized? Oh, so I think that everybody looks at everything. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> So what would I say? So I'll start off a couple of other rhyming topics. So if 85% of employees want to be hybrid, um, which is amazing, when you start looking at quality of buildings and quality of workplaces, so whether it's your trophy buildings or your quality of interior the design or the culture or the employee engagement, then suddenly that 85% drops and people want to be in the office more. So that's a really important metric. Another important metric when you look at, um, I'll say professional services firms, you measure, I call it, you know, we did it in the retail world for a long time, the gross revenue to occupancy cost analysis, otherwise known as GROCs. When you do that, you start looking at the percentages of gross revenue to the firms relative to their occupancy costs. And I'll say law firms tended to be in the 8 to 10% range. Many um, accounting and consultancies were driving down to hit the 5% range, and now they're driving down even further. Because it's that metric, by reducing your occupancy costs, you can become more profitable and pay your employees more. And in the war for talent, which is what we're in right now, you want to have the cash flow to be able to do that. So that's another key metric. 
And the last one is on the occupancy cost per employee. And so if you're physically in the office, you can calculate your cost based on physical space. And so those would be anywhere from, I think it's $8,000 an employee is the average, but they go up as high as twelve to 15000 yeah. And so you can calculate that. But now suddenly if you have hybrid hot desking folks, now you're talking platform cost, technology cost. So amazing metrics that you can look at really into the decision-making process. Craig, I guess we're, we're going to wrap it up now. Do you have any last comments? What's your, your vision for the next two years show on return to office? If the current environment has told us anything, is that to expect the unexpected in a lot of ways and we're really in, still very much in the onset of what's to come as it relates to the evolution of workplace strategy. And I really enjoy your commentary, which I was just writing down myself, uh, as you may have noticed, uh, based on the different uh, metrics that are being used, how companies look to their peers in a lot of ways to inform their own strategy. Because right now, as we could appreciate, if data or analytics doesn't come to the equation, it's really hard to effectuate a strategy in a meaningful way and we're really endeavoring to be that source of truth whether it's uh, some of the vitality index avant data analytics or the consultative approach uh, that your you and your team really implements really emphasizes the need for that type of a solution a really constructive 360 degree uh, solution in an environment that has no precedent and will continue to evolve so data-driven insights so for our cornet uh, listeners today on the Avis and Young website is our Vitality Index and we measure all of the cities along with many industry sectors and you update it you know every couple of weeks or so Craig and his team are right there if you have any questions give Craig a shout um, and on behalf of Craig and myself Sheila Botting we're absolutely thrilled to have had the uh, conversation today so thank you Craig thank you this concludes this episode of What's Next Want to record a podcast of your own? Have an idea or point of view you'd like to share? Visit cornetglobal.org to learn more.